Hi, welcome to Witch, Witch is Witch, a pop culture podcast about ladies who use magic. I'm Derek. And I'm Regina. And today we're bringing you Ladies from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Kicking it old school. We got that new wave jam going on with these magical women. Exactly. So, Derek, tell me which magical lady from the 80s are you going to tell me about today? So I would love to tell you about Emily Astor from the comic book series Phonogram. Now, Phonogram is a comic book by Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey about modern-day magicians who get their powers from music. Now, if those creators and that premise sounds familiar, it might be because they expanded on the idea in their much more popular comic book, The Wicked and the Divine, and have basically confirmed that any ideas they had for future Phonogram volumes would be full into Wickdiv instead. So Emily is cool, confident, boss lady that everyone in the room wishes they could be. She's always the height of fashion, too hip to be bothered by anyone else, and always seems to have just the right wisdom coupled with just the right put down for whoever's asking. We know that she loves AHA and Madonna and Duran Duran. In terms of contemporary music, we know that she loves The Knife, particularly their iconic hit single, We Share Our Mother's Health. Radical. So I'm a big fan of Wicked and Divine. And so I'm really excited to hear a little bit about Emily and Phonogram because of that I hadn't read that series, so I'm interested to check it out. Yeah, the first two volumes of Phonogram came out years before Wikdiv came along, and uh, they actually postponed the third volume because they were like, wow, Wikdiv is actually popular. I guess we should just keep doing this Fair for enough. a while. But they'd already announced the third volume of Phonogram, and they'd been working on it for years. I think they actually took a break also to do the Young Avengers series for Marvel in between, mm-hmm. so... But Phonogram is much more autobiographical, according to Kieran Gillen. It's much more based on his history in the London punk rock scene when he was growing up. Whereas Wiktiv is more of a grander mythology about the history of musical magic. Phonogram is very much about present day rockers in London and how they use magic. Right on. So let's start talking about Emily. The first rule of witchiness is that the witch in question identify as female. Does Emily identify as female? Yeah, Emily definitely identifies as female, and she spends a fair amount of her time on panel in the comics exploring her own femininity. She experiments with her sexuality because she won't allow anybody to tell her what she is or isn't. She finds female mentors that intimidate her, and she makes them her peers who see her as an equal. She deliberately keeps herself a mystery to the people around her because her whole magical identity is based on the vague sort of feminine icon she sees in music videos. Interesting. I love this idea of the vague feminine icon in music videos as if it's some sort of idol beyond just pop idol. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a certain degree of idolatry to yeah. be had there for sure. Cool. The second rule of witchiness is that the witch in question practice magic. Can you tell me a little bit about the magic Emily practices? So yeah, Emily's magic is derived from phonomancy, which is magic drawn from music. She can influence the minds and actions of others, alter her appearance with glamours, create fire, and probably more stuff that we don't actually see in the course of the comics. The magic users in phonogram comics each serve the specific deity of the music that matters to them most. For example, David Cole, the protagonist of the first volume of phonogram, serves Britannia, the god of Britpop, <laughs> and he draws his power from bands like Blur and Pulp. Emily Astor's god is the king behind the screen, the deity of the image of pop music. So her power primarily comes from pop videos like AHA's Take On Me, Madonna's Material Girl, and Lady Gaga's Paparazzi. So her magic, even though it's drawn from music, it's specifically 
music videos. It's specifically the imagery that comes with music. So, for example, when she's putting together her grimoire of like where she will pull her power from, she has to let go of music she loves that doesn't have that type of imagery. Like, did you ever listen to the band Young Marble Giants? No. So they had a fantastic sort of underground hit album called Colossal Youth back in the day, but they did not release videos. They did not release any art. They just had the album cover which was sort of three faces in profile of the band and that was all you had and because that was the only image of the band there wasn't enough power to draw from them and so she had to let go of their music whereas with madonna she very specifically pulls from that video of material girl where she's in the slinky dress and she's got the pearl necklace and there's all the men waiting on her Mm -hmm. and that is a source of power for her and like aha if you think of aha you immediately picture that pencil drawn style of the uh, the take on me video yeah yeah And so that, like, because that song creates that image in your mind, that is a sense of power. Oh, interesting. Like, weird chaos sigil kind of things. Yeah. Also, this is not related, only tangentially related. But the literal music video, the the literal Mm -hmm. take on me, is one of my favorite things. Those literal videos are extremely funny, and I think Take On Me was one of the first ones that I saw. And it's so good. At one point, they're like, oh no, he's got a wrench. Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. So I see the power, is what I'm saying. Moving on to the third law of witchiness. The witch in question should be a feminist. Is Emily a feminist? So without a doubt, Emily is a feminist. At the first meeting of their coven, uh, Emily's most frequent confidant, David Cole, says a coven is a venue. It is a feminist platform. There's talent here. So while their coven may be started by a grumpy dude who's way into the white stripes, Emily gains his trust and respect and eventually takes over the leadership role from him, forging new plans and directions for all of the magic users in her community. Interesting. So is David the, I guess, high priest of the coven before she takes over leadership? Emily and David go to the first coven meeting together, and it's like all the local phonomancers. And I forget the name of the guy who starts it because he's like, I'm sick of other people drawing their power from the white stripes, and I can't. Let's just do this. <laughs> but basically, he's like, you know, we we all like music. We all like different kinds of music. It doesn't matter that we don't draw from the same pool, we can be a community. And Emily, because she's of that sort of pop icon imagery, she's a little like too cool for school. But then when she sees all these powerful other magicians there, she's like, well, maybe I can make something of this. Maybe I can learn from them. Maybe I can like make some connections. Maybe this can help all of us. And she sticks with it long enough that the guy who started it all was like, okay, you clearly have a better handle on this than I do right now. Why don't you just run it? Nice. Ladies rising up in the ranks just by doing their thing. Doing the, good. Doing the thing. Well, sounds great. Although I am a little curious, like, so she's really into pop, but she's also too cool for school. I don't understand how those things, when I think of too cool for school, I think, like, I'm really into these, like, indie bands you've never heard of, or, you know? Well, that is 
and, and they don't address this, I think, in the comic, as far as I recall, but this has always been my interpretation of pop. Even though it is the most mainstream thing possible, the image of it has to be that I'm cooler than the mainstream. Like, uh, huh. think about that stupid One Direction song from a few years ago, You Don't Know You're Beautiful, That's What Makes You Beautiful. <laughs> it, it's, it's like that. Like, Michael Jackson thought he was so much more punk rock than everybody around him. And I don't mean to besmirch at all. Like, 100%, he was trailblazing. He was doing things that were different. But at the same time, he was the epitome of everybody loves this. This is this is universally beloved. How can you be fighting the system when you are the most mainstream thing? There's that sort of thought process there. And, sure. and to another extent, it's sort of the, the ability to be so against the mainstream is what sort of makes right. you identifiable. Like, think about right. Madonna was very counterculture. Lady Gaga was very counterculture. And over time, they became the mainstream. But when they first came along, they were radical that makes much more sense thank you for that explanation sure i don't think they address that in the comic but that's how i've always read it the fourth rule of witchiness is that the witch in question be persecuted or misunderstood how is Emily persecuted or misunderstood? So the main source of both Emily's persecution and misunderstanding is the very source of her power. In order to get her magic, she needed to give up half of herself and leave it behind the screen to while away forever with the music videos she drew strength from. Her former self, Claire, remains a self-hating goth girl staring back at the confident and freewheeling Emily from behind the mirror, judging her every time she takes a moment to reflect upon herself literally. People who knew her before the transformation still compare Emily to Claire, not fully comprehending the split between the two versions of the woman. This took an unexpectedly dark turn. Yeah, she's got a bit of a self-inflicted tragic origin story in that regard. When she first was contacted by her deity, the king behind the screen, he explained to her, like, look, all these things that you believed were magic from an early age are real. Like, all of this is true. I can show it to you. You can have this power, but you have to leave half of yourself here. So you have to, like, pick and choose all the parts of you that will be left behind to make room for the person that you are going to become. And so she basically split herself in half. And while she was this goth girl named Claire before, she gave up the parts of herself that didn't mesh with who she wanted to be. And they became a separate sort of sentience inside the music videos and then the new version of her decided to take the name Emily Astor. I have so many feelings right now I don't even know where to start. There's that's, that's <laughs> okay. so many. Wow. That's a lot of things. So You know, if you could let go of parts of you that didn't mesh with who you wanted to be in the future, you probably would. Yeah, I would do a destruction ritual mm -hmm. and then never speak of it again. But the thing is she's she's not destroying no that part of her is still alive it's just imprisoned it's just imprisoned and the and then she has to gaze and there's it. the horrible thing is that whenever because she, she is so image focused she can never actually look at her own reflection because when she looks in the mirror all she sees is claire judging her and saying like i'm gonna get out of here i'm gonna come get back in my body whoa yeah so em Emily tends to like avoid puddles and mirrors and like shiny CDs or anything like that because every time she does, she's reminded of Claire. That is both great and terrible. Yep. And I really like it. And I feel like there's a lot of psychology there that we could do a deep, deep dive about. Mm -hmm. 
There's also a lot of witch lore that has to do with reflections and the meaning behind them or using reflective surfaces in magical practice, you know, scrying, things like that. So there's there's a lot to unpack there. Very interesting. She's both persecuted and misunderstood by her self. And by people who remember her previous self. Because they don't quite understand that she's a literally different person That's intense. than the person they used to know. So I I feel like now I know the answer to, to the fifth law of witchiness, which is that the witch in question be bonded to a sentience larger than herself. I feel like I know where you're going to go with this. Yeah, so as we like just discussed, uh, Emily is bonded to two sentiences. One is arguably greater than and one arguably less than herself. The king behind the screen and Claire. So the king is the deity of the image of pop music. When there is a shared universal image of a song, that is the king's power at work. So like I said, if you listen to AHA's Take On Me, you kind of instantly picture that loosely scribbled pencil drawing of the race car drivers chasing the singer, and they're swinging the wrench. You probably can't separate the two ideas. <laughs> the king is usually represented by a fuzzed out image of Michael Jackson in the Thriller video. Oh, right on. That, that is peak king of pop right there. And Claire is by design half of who Emily used to be, but she is definitely a separate person from Emily. She's always there staring back from the other side of the mirror. When Claire and Emily come to something of a detente, Emily expresses their relationship as a Lady Gaga lyric. I'm your biggest fan. I'll follow you in until you love me. This is very scary. This is very... We're recording late at night and now I'm scared. That's very, very scary. Well, yeah, Lady so Gaga is scary sometimes. That was, a, that was a fun sounding pop song until you actually think about the lyrics. I, I enjoy her music. Although I have to say, the thing about Lady Gaga, and I'm sure that she's a lovely person and I have a great respect for her music, there's so much about Lady Gaga that reminds me of like the first couple of years of art school. That mm-hmm. it's just, it's like looking back at my own Claire. Yeah, that's the way I feel about My Chemical Romance. But that's much more deliberate because My Chemical Romance was Gerard Way's senior thesis project at SVA. <laughs> like, no kidding. A-, a friend of mine was in the same illustration class as him and like told us how like his senior illustration thesis was basically like, what if there were a band and they looked like this and they told this story and they went on these types of adventures? And then that was like the narrative behind the first three My Chemical Romance albums and like their art style and everything. And I was like, oh, wow, you actually just like made a career out of your wow. senior illustration thesis. That's cool. actually really impressive. <laughs> it probably helps that while he was in college, he interned at both DC and Marvel Comics. I didn't know any of these things. And my mind is a little bit blown. Yeah, I bet at least you, if not some of our listeners, just gained a little bit more respect for My Chemical Romance, regardless of whether or not you like the music, which, sure, questionable, fine. Questionable, I could take it or leave it. It was never anything I was kind of into, but yeah. That just sounds like magic, just like bringing your idea into reality like that. I mean, that is what magic is, so right on. 
Maybe he's a chaos magician and we, we just don't even know. So many chaos magicians in the world. Speaking of magicians in the world, let's talk about your lady magician. So what lady from the 80s doing magical things do you want to talk about? Is, is there perhaps uh, some sort of uh, magical phrase that you could introduce us with? Yeah, here? I'm going to start us off with a little incantation. Are we ready? All right, I'm ready. Everybody okay, ready. light some candles. Get ready. Here we go. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. I'm talking today about my favorite on-screen amateur photographer, Lydia Dietz from the film Beetlejuice. Lydia is a young woman who moves to the burbs with her artist mother and her real estate developer father. The house they move into is haunted by the recently deceased Maitland couple, Barbara and Adam. When the Maitlands unsuccessfully attempt to scare the Dietzes out of their house, they summon the bio-exterminator Beetlejuice, who wreaks havoc on all involved. Lydia gets wrapped up in Beetlejuice's scheme to get out of the afterlife and live in the mortal world, while Beetlejuice ends up getting eaten by a sandworm and sent back to the afterlife waiting room. Lydia, the Dietzes, and the Maitlands make their peace with each other through their mutual love of Lydia and learn to coexist in harmony. Lydia is most definitely a witch in my opinion, and I'm looking forward to exploring her witch credentials. Oh yeah, definitely. I imagine a lot of our listeners have very strong feelings about Beetlejuice. It was certainly an iconic film of our youth. Yes, indeed. And a relatively iconic animated series afterwards. I don't know, questionable I how loved popular that, that was. animated series, though. I really did. Good, good. It, it took a strange turn with the relationship between Beetlejuice and Lydia because they became like a weird like buddy pair up. I feel like that was because the animated series was clearly aimed at children while the movie was, was not, not. But still, like, you have context of both. Yeah. And so to go from one to the other, is this okay? Even as a kid, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, how is this happening? Is this okay, guys? Regardless, once you, like, get past that initial ick factor and don't think too hard about it, it's a really great and fun series and has a fantastic theme song speaking of not thinking about it too hard i know that you have put a ton of research and effort into your your notes this week so let's <laughs> not think about it too too let's hard let's not think about it too hard and move on to the first okay. rule of witchiness can you tell me if lydia identifies as female she does identify as female she's 14 years old and incredibly, gloriously gah. Oh, yes. Her style influence has made an impression on a host of fellow 90s kids, myself included. Lydia also depicts what I feel is a very accurate snapshot of being a 14-year-old girl, which is to say she's dramatic, clever, jaded in ways she shouldn't yet be, and much more aware of the world around her than any of the adults, living or dead, in the film. Absolutely. Yeah, she is by far the most emotionally mature character in the film, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it has admittedly been a long time since I've seen the movie. It is not available on any streaming services, so I'm happy to have the refresher course here. I was a little surprised you brought her up for this because I didn't remember her doing any magic. So can you tell me, by a second law of witchiness, how does Lydia do magic? With the thrice repetition of the name of the demon or ghost or whatever he is, Beetlejuice, Lydia evokes a spirit. And that, my friends, is enough for me to say she practices magic. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I'll also argue that her constant communication with spirits means she's also practicing magic, though with less pomp and circumstance than Otho requires when he does his seance. 
Yes. You're absolutely right. I feel so silly for having doubted Lydia. It's one of those things where it's so obvious, you know? Yeah. That you overlook it. That is an immense power right there. That is straight up, like, that's the same power that Captain Marvel slash Shazam has in the Justice League. And nobody argues that that ain't magic. That's totally magic. (laughs) I'm excited. I think that movie looks fun with with Chuck from Chuck. I don't like getting excited about DC movies because they're always a bummer, but that one at least looks fun. Anyway, talking about fun, talking about taking things too seriously, talking about all these wonderful things. Can you tell me, third rule of witchiness, how is Lydia a feminist? Lydia is absolutely a feminist. She's remarkably open-minded too, which leads me to believe that she'd probably be a rad intersectional feminist as well. She's fiercely individualistic, doesn't kink shame. Guys are gonna do that weird sexual stuff, do it in your own bedroom. And embraces a non-standard family. I'm also going to posit this huge stretch for your feminist imaginations, that Beetlejuice could represent the malignant forces of the patriarchy, Oversexualized humor, brothel in the town model, marrying an underage girl to use her for his way to get out into the mortal world. And Lydia could represent an intersexual feminism, as mentioned before. Then Beetlejuice's defeat at the end of the film, spoilers, by Barbara, the idealized yet old-fashioned mother figure riding a sandworm, could be interpreted as the intersectional feminism leading to utopia since his defeat brings the family together in peace. Barbara gets to be a mom, the dads get to do their dad things, and Delia gets to express her art in a non-sentient way. No, too, too big of a stretch is worth a shot. I thought it was interesting. I thought that was totally a worthwhile read of the way it plays out. And you're absolutely right that I I have always felt that Beetlejuice, the character, is like hyper-masculine in a way. I don't know if that's just because of Michael Keaton, but man. And the crotch grabbing. Yeah, a lot of that. There's a lot lot of very over-sexualized humor. Like he lifts up. Barbara's skirt while they're like, talking and is trying to look up into it. He's like constantly making crude remarks or gestures and is always using a lot of masculine bravado to cover up which, what is surely a lot of insecurity. Yeah, How did anyone think this was okay for children? I, I don't think it was supposed to be. Yeah. I think that we no, all it, just, it wasn't. I think we all just were like watching it at a young age because mm-hmm. it was sort of cartoony. And so people thought, oh, this is probably it. I don't know. I loved this movie so much. Mm-hmm. I taped it on VHS from the television, but the VHS that I used to tape it was one of my mom's old surgery videos. My mom is a physical therapist. So there was, in order to watch Beetlejuice, which I did almost like every week, I would have to fast forward through 45 minutes of open knee surgery to get to Beetlejuice. Oh, that's the perfect primer (laughs) for what you're going to have to deal with afterwards. So yeah, so there's, there's so much of me and my upbringing that's like because of this film but also like the strange pathway to get to it is through this open knee surgery video i don't know guys so deliberately or not you sort of designed yourself to be desensitized by watching (laughs) beetlejuice Yeah. All right, moving on, because that's a real fun topic. Uh, I feel like there's a better way to bridge these two. There's not. Like, just, just go. We just go. okay. Just, just Fast going. 
fourth rule of witchiness, can you tell me a little bit about how Lydia is persecuted or misunderstood? Lydia is misunderstood in the way only teenagers can truly embody. She is most definitely misunderstood. I myself am strange and unusual. Yeah, and that was sort of what made her such like a compelling teen icon, mm-hmm. I think, for our generation. Similar to the way in The Craft, uh, what, what was that line that she had in The Craft when they get off the bus? We are the weirdos, mister. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's little lines like that where you're like, they get me. I'm so dark. Things are hard for me, the average American teen. <laughs> and the thing is, how old is this film now? And they're you're, they're still selling I Myself Up Strange and Unusual on t-shirts. Absolutely. So clearly this resonates with the youths. I imagine youth you culture. can find those at your local mall Hot Topic. You can. I have not set foot in a Hot Topic in 20 years. I don't know. I have, by the way, I have very recently stepped foot into Hot Topic. I can't remember what I was getting. More power to you. I Thank you. I was in there with Violet. She likes it because there's a lot of toys and colors. Yeah. And bows. They have a very large selection of bows, which who would have thought, but... For a toddler, it's like utopia. Just bows Absolutely. as far as the eye can see. Anyway, so I'm checking out, probably getting a bow for Violet. And they asked me, are you on the guest list? And I was like, wait, I, I, I'm confused by the question you're asking me. And then it clicked. They mean like, you know, when you go to a store and you're on like the mailing list or whatever. Or okay. Like a member of the th- And then I was like, that is the most contrived thing. I don't know how to feel about it. Like, I don't know if this is, like, funny. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. It was like, I don't know if that's clever enough to admire or, I'm like, like... I'm 31, so I'm, I was like, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't understand your question. And then it all came together, and I was like, no, no, thank you. Please do not email me anything. I don't need the updates on what new Invader Zim merch you have. The show ended 16 years ago. There's a movie coming out next year. How are you still making merch for it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Anyway, that's what I know about Hot Topic. Again, that's like how little I'm familiar with modern day Hot Topic. The last three times I passed by one in a mall, I saw a window full of Invader Zim merch. And I, I adore Invader Zim. I love it. My high school girlfriend broke up with me because I would skip date night to videotape it off of Nickelodeon because I was convinced <laughs> it would be canceled. And it was. I don't regret that decision. It was better to record Invader Zim than to go out with her. But... I still don't want to go into the mall Hot Topic to buy your Zim Quote t-shirt. Fair enough. Anyway, enough ranting about Hot Topic. Let's wrap things up with Lydia. Can you tell me, fifth rule of sentience, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. Can you tell me, is Lydia bonded to a sentience larger than herself? Yes. Bonded to the Maitlands in a gloriously loving parent's-child relationship. Aww. That went a a different direction than I thought it would. Yeah. It's actually really heartwarming at the end. Yeah. Like I said, she she embraces this non-standard family dynamic where she's got her two living biological parents and her two dead ghost parents and and they have this like 
very peaceful co-parenting situation and everybody's happy and Lydia goes to school and she's like riding her bike wearing her school uniform but she's got her petticoat under it because she's like still cool you know she's like still edgy and fun and then she goes home and celebrates good grades with her family hooray it's, it's really heartwarming that is heartwarming so speaking of things that like make you feel good and make you feel welcome make you feel like you're part of a family uh-huh uh let's talk about our covens for a second and can you tell me if you could only invite one of them into your coven lydia or emily astor which one would it be who would you have in your coven regina it would definitely be lydia because i spent most of my childhood watching her <laughs> on screen and wishing that we could be friends or that I could just be her. So definitely Lydia. Also, the other reason is I'm a little afraid mm -hmm. of Claire. And if I get Emily, then my assumption is that Claire is like, it's like a two for one deal. Yeah. And I'm scared of her. And it's, it's late at night and I'm I understand and I, I agree. There are certainly questions to be had about how much you can rely on Emily. Even when it's just Emily and not Clara, she's just so too cool for school and can't really be bothered to help you with what you're going through. Even if she has the answers for you, she'll still just like dig at you because like, you know, why are you bothering me? So whereas Lydia is like, despite being your prototypical goth girl, she's like caring and sweet. Not to say goth girls aren't, but like that's not the image. So yeah, Lydia's there for you. She's got you back. She generally wants the right thing for everybody. So I'm I'm with Lydia all the way. Definitely. Yeah. Hey, Derek. Yeah, what's that, Regina? Are you on the guest list um, for the Cauldron Cabaret? Oh, no. Oh, no. You made it cool. Now I have to go to Hot Topic it's and sign up for the cool. guest list to I get into the Cauldron Cabaret. Is that how it works? No, you don't. I don't know. If it's, it's the entrance to the Cauldron Cabaret in the I'm back old. of a Hot Topic, maybe. You know what? If you talk to Kim and Kim, it very well may be. You make an excellent point there. So speaking of Cauldron and the way our characters interact there. I did, when rereading the phonogram for this, I was reminded of a really fun club night they have in the comic that I think might work well for the cauldron. Okay. The entire second volume of the book is is focused on this particular night at the club, and they mention it in, in volume three, which is all about Emily. But they, they go to this concert venue, and every week they have a party called Never on a Sunday. And there are three rules for the night. Uh, one, no boys singers. So every song that is played that night, no boy singers. So we're talking like Slater Kinney, the Pipettes, and the Knife, certain Los Campesinos songs, maybe. Like, like all ladies all night long. Blondie is a big hit on Never on a Sunday Night. Uh, rule number two, you must dance. Mm -hmm. There is mm -hmm. no abstaining. Like at, really at some point this. in the evening, you have to dance. Rule number three, and this could be the, the game changer for us, no magic. Oh, interesting. That is... That is where it gets interesting. And that is where some people get in trouble because they try to use magic when they're dancing. And it's like, no, 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 no. No magic. You read the rules. It's no boy singers. You must dance. And no, no magic. magic. See, here's here's the rub. Mm -hmm. Behind the bar, we've got Ileana slinging drinks through a hell dimension because we don't have a lot of space. Yes. So I feel like this might be an all ages like dry night if she can't get the, the drinks through hell into the bar could be that, that might be a problem and it's harder to ensure that you must dance when there are not 
proper drinks Does available what for I'm some saying. people. Might be a, might be a little tricky. There would have to be a lot of preparation beforehand. I still feel good about it, though. I still feel like this is a great premise. Well, we'll need to have an all-ages night because Lydia is 14, you said. Correct. So with that in mind, uh, who, who do you see Lydia hanging out with? at the cauldron is is she sticking with the underage kids or is she sort of branching out well i feel like because she very quickly and easily developed a relationship with some maybe 30 30 somethings in the maitlands i don't see her immediately gravitating towards the other kids that said she does seem to seem more social at the end of the film when she's talking to her schoolmates. So, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a toss-up. I think she would be fascinated by Lord Fanny just for the whole, you know, living as a piece of art kind of jive. I feel like there would be conversations there. I think she would just be so excited to be with her people that she wouldn't care. Nice. Yeah, that works. I'm into it. Lydia would be a blast. And dancing she can do the the calypso <laughs> dance right yes she can lead that that the iconic. good the very iconic absolutely beetlejuice calypso that was that was a rule for a while was like every movie had to have their signature dance scene dance I, I miss those days i love a good dance whereas sequence. like with emily like she spent so much time at clubs similar to this especially with magicians this is not going to be a new experience for her there's going to be another night at the club but she's still in that sort of like too cool for school mindset that she's going to overlook as many people as possible kind of and she's going to be gravitated to the people that she sees being similarly like i'm great i'm awesome it doesn't matter to me whether anybody cares so she's going to be drawn to like bayonetta mm-hmm. she's going to be drawn to bev morda and maleficent nancy from the craft maybe i feel like the craft girls in general should be like ha, trying a little hard aren't you you little babies oh fair enough you sweet yeah. little babies you haven't figured out what your magic is yet come back to me when you're over age like let's talk about this later go through puberty first girls mm-hmm. is the kind of attitude that emily would have i think I can see her like going to Maleficent, specifically like the Angelina Jolie version, and being like, "We must talk about your contouring because Contour. it's m- amazing. There's so your much contouring contour. is spectacular. You need to tell me all about it. We need to discuss yes. this because you are flawless, woman. You deserve to be in a music video." Is the kind of attitude Emily would have about it. Is like it was almost certainly a music video, though. Almost certainly too. there was. Similarly, I feel like Phaedra Delane, I feel like she would be like, "Yes." Yes, you. You're fascinating. Mm-hmm. Tell me everything. I need to know what your deal is because you are magnificent. Mm-hmm. She is pretty magnificent. That's the scene I see Emily being that makes drawn sense. to. Would she be very particular about the music being played? Um, I mean, b- besides we've already established it's all female vocals all the time. Mm-hmm. Would she be more drawn to music like her, the pop hits that she likes or... Would she be open-minded? She'll listen to just about anything, but she won't dance unless it is like grade A excellent pop. Mm-hmm. Like the number one jam that gets everybody lit on Never on a Sunday night is Atomic by Blondie. Because obviously. Like that yeah. gets the whole floor lit up. So she she needs top yeah. quality dance floor. Like disco is fine. 80s pop is fine. 2000s pop is fine. But it's got to be 
nonstop hits. Nonstop hits. I got you. That is, that is what will get her lighting up the dance floor. Anything else, and she'll be leaning against the wall judging everybody. Judging. Mm-hmm. I feel like she would also think Ursula the Sea Witch is just the coolest. I mean, I think Ursula the Sea Witch is just the coolest. She kind of is. I can imagine. Actually, this could be like a really very dangerous combination. Mm-hmm. Go with me on this journey. So I'm if listening. we've got Emily, who's already siphoned half of herself off into an another dimension with the king behind the screen in order to gain these powers and then you've got ursula who's like i think i see where you're going with look this. i can give you anything that you want i can you know if you're a mermaid i can give you legs i see you know whatever you want i got the magic i got the power you just need to pay me with what i want and what i want is your voice you know like i feel like that could be a very villainous very scary duo yeah there's a lot in common between Ursula and the king behind the screen so I feel like Emily will instantly understand what Ursula's mm-hmm. all about and be fine yeah, with be it totally because fine Emily with is the part of her that made the deal and is happy yeah yeah so I feel like Emily would totally understand where Ursula's coming from and be like yeah girl do your business let me help you out let me show you some couple of ropes that you haven't figured out yet let's yeah, make this I feel happen like Ursula would see an opportunity here and be like I can use this young woman to get to the king behind the screen and get mm-hmm. his powers and take his stuff and, you know, I feel like it could go total take. I feel like that about wraps things up for this episode of Which Witch is Which. Now that you've heard what we have to say, what do you think? Who would you invite into your coven? Let us know at witchwitchcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at witchwitchcast. That's W-H-I-C-H-W-I-T-C-H-C-A-S-T. Don't anger the Elder Gods. Subscribe to Which Witch is Witch on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, wherever your pods may be cast. Until then, remember, if you can't fast forward through 45 minutes, minutes of open knee surgery, you're not on the guest list. So I'm going to be like a steampunk Ursula. Yeah, it's going to be pretty rad. I'm excited. I love the idea of a steampunk Ursula. That could be really fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. I, I got oh, oh you're C-punk. You're C-punk at that C-punk. point. C-punk. C-punk Ursula. So good. Thank you for that.